All right, so we've been in this series called Hope Rises uh, for the last month or so, uh, since Easter. We've been talking about a really difficult topic. We've been talking about suffering and pain, questions, doubts, uh, tragedy, and what does it look like for us to be able to, to live our lives in the midst of some of those things? How many of you guys have had something go wrong in your life? Cool. All right. I just wanted to make sure we're all, we're all there. Uh, and I won't ask this, but some of you guys might be in the middle of something incredibly difficult, painful, challenging now. Uh, maybe for some of you guys, you just got out of it and you couldn't be happier. Uh, the reality is that for most of us, we will experience pain or brokenness or question tended the world to be, but because we live in a broken world. We talked about this in the, in the first week about how this isn't how God intended the world to be, but, but because he loves us, he allows us to make decisions. He allows us to choose how we show up. And, and some of us, we choose love and we do our best to, to bring goodness around us and other people, and they make decisions that brings pain and brokenness. And, and we live in a world where God, because he wants to have a relationship with us, he wants us to be able to make that decision on whether or not we choose to be in a relationship with him and pursue good, or we can choose to pursue brokenness and pain. And sometimes we choose those things, sometimes other people choose those things. So we experience this in our lives. And, and the reality is, is that even though this isn't the most fun or the happiest topic to talk about, it's an important one to talk about because it's something that impacts all of us. We all have our own stories, our families, friends, neighbors, coworkers that are dealing with this stuff. And so even if you're not in the middle of some sort of pain or chaos or, or questions or doubts right now, you might know somebody that is and you can walk alongside them in a special way. Uh, have you guys ever um, gotten to a place where you realize that you just scheduled things kind of poorly? Uh, you're like, you know, halfway through a week or whatever the situation is, you're like, I didn't do this one right. You know, this is too many things and it's too little of a time. Maybe you planned a vacation and you had like 10 days worth of stuff to do and a three-day trip. Uh, you know, there, there's these things in my life that I've, I've had this, this feeling, this moment. Um, one of them is uh, my wife's birthday um, is four days after Valentine's Day. That was scheduled poorly. I can't change either of those things. I didn't choose either of those things. Uh, but there's four days, and so I want to have this Valentine's Day special, and then also I have this birthday, and, and it's this weird balance of like, okay, how do I make sure that both of these are special celebratory things in her life? Another one is that uh, our anniversary is right after Mother's Day, uh, our wedding anniversary. And so it's, again, it's one of these things where, and I when we got married, I wasn't thinking about Mother's Day. Like, who would think about that then? But there's this moment now where I'm like, great, now I've got in February these two things back to back, then I've got these other two things back to back. And so this week, uh, our anniversary is actually next week, but this week we decided because grandma was in town and we had free babysitting, which is the best anniversary gift of all, uh, we decided we were going to try and go away and I got tickets to the Hollywood Bowl, so we were going to go up on Thursday night and relax all day Friday and then go to the concert Friday night and then sleep in on Saturday and come back. And, and it was one of those things that the two weeks leading up to this week, everything just started falling apart. It was like we could no longer go up on Thursday. They were like, we'll leave early Friday. We're going to get up with the sun and pack the car and leave the kids behind. And we didn't leave our house till like 11 in the morning. And we finally got to L.A. and and it was just like one thing after another. And then the other thing that is totally my, my mistake, but I had forgotten that we had this massive serve event yesterday in Costa Mesa. A lot of you guys were at, but I didn't think through it when I was planning this. And so we got to our hotel. We checked in. None of the rooms were ready because they, everybody had checked out late except one, this suite on the 12th floor of this hotel. And they're like, if you want, you can have this or you can wait for a couple hours and you can have your smaller piddly room that you originally rented. And I said... 
we'll take the suite. I don't want you to feel bad. You know? And so the, we walk into this. I've never stayed in a suite before. It was crazy. I walk in. I open the door. It's as big as my entire apartment on the top of this building. Uh, and I'm like, I can't believe this. This is amazing. And I have to leave at 6 a.m. tomorrow. Like, I kind of want to move. I could go grocery shopping. We could stay here for a long time. So we get there. We go to the concert. We have a good time. And then we get up at 6 a.m. Saturday morning to drive back from our rested, relaxing 19 hours in L.A. for our anniversary trip. And it was just one of those things where we, it just, everything kind of went wrong. And it was not the way we planned it. And it wasn't what we hoped for. But still, we knew that it would be worth it. We knew it, was, it would be worth it. We knew that there would be enough to be worth, even if we have to get up early and come back, whatever it is, we knew that it would be worth it. We knew that there would be enough there. Part of that is because, as a parent of young kids, uh, two hours without your kids feels like six hours. Uh, a day without your kids feels like a week. And so it kind of compounds the, the experience. And so, But we've all had these experiences. We've have had these moments where... The pain or the frustration during the process couldn't really come close to ruining the experience overall. It might not have been how we wanted it, how we intended it, how we had hoped that it would go, but we knew that, that goodness was still there and it was worth leaning into. It was worth trusting that this is still going to be worth it. And that's what we're talking about today is these types of moments. We've been in the series looking at the book of Habakkuk. Uh, he was a prophet. Uh, and what was interesting about Habakkuk is that he, most prophets uh, spoke to people on behalf of God, but Habakkuk spoke to God on behalf of people. What had happened was there was a lot of violence and suffering and injustice and pain, and, and other countries were rising up against God's people, and, and the people were upset. They were like, hey, we're God's people. We love God, and he said that he would watch us and provide for us and take care of us, and it seems like he's kind of left us hanging out to dry. And so they found Habakkuk. We're like, hey, you need to let your boss know that we're unhappy with his services, essentially is what they said. And so Habakkuk, he shows up, and he, he in the first two chapters of this book, just has incredibly honest, frustrated, angry, emotional conversations with God about how he feels like he has just been left out to dry, and all of God's people have as well. I don't know if you guys have ever had those types of conversations with God, those, those types of prayers. Uh, I know a lot of us, we kind of feel like we can't really be that honest with God. We have to pretend like we're happy all the time. But there's these moments, I would say, that all of us, at least inside, have wrestled with this thought of, I don't feel like he's holding up his end of the bargain. I thought he was good, and this doesn't feel good. I thought he was loving, but we're experiencing pain and suffering. I thought he was all-powerful, but the world feels like it's falling apart. Wouldn't he show up? Shouldn't he show up? Isn't this what we signed up for? We've all wrestled with these things, and this is what Habakkuk says in the first two chapters. In chapter one, he wrestles with this question, why is this happening? Where are you, God? And, and we have all wrestled with this one way, one time, or another. In chapter 2, Habakkuk does this difficult work, this, this thing that none of us like doing, and he just wait, wait for an answer. He waits for things to change. And no, none of us like to wait. But Habakkuk, he listens for God, and he's waiting, and he's, he's praying, and he's writing down what he feels like he's experiencing in these moments because it talked, we talked about the power of waiting for God, how it's not laziness, it's not apathy, but it's actually courage in waiting for God to show up and waiting for God's to response. And then at the end of chapter two, it's only a three-chapter book. So if you're looking to impress people and be like, oh, I read a book in the Bible today. Habakkuk is your book. You could do it in like 17 minutes. Uh, the end of chapter two, after all of the frustration and the angst and the anger and the questions and the doubts and the accusations, 
Habakkuk's tone changes. He has all of this brutal, honest conversation, and then something changes at the very last verse of chapter 2. It says this, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. God, it feels like you're not here. It feels like we're suffering. There's injustice. We're crying out to you, and you don't ever answer. You've not shown up when we've needed you, but... The Lord is in his holy temple, so let us be silent before him. It kind of reminds me of what David wrote in Psalms. David, he wrote this. He said, be still and know that I am God. There's a sense of even in the midst of the chaos and the questions and the the unknowns, be still and know that I am God. There's, There's this thing where the tone changes. Essentially, Habakkuk is hurting and confused and scared. He doesn't understand, but... He knows that God is still God, that he is still in control. He doesn't understand it, but he's choosing to believe it. And then in chapter 3, there's a reset. We'll have a lot of these verses on the screen. So Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1. This is one of these verses that a lot of us read and we just kind of skip over because we don't think it really matters. But it's an interesting little thing I want to make sure we pay attention to. It says, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on, does anybody want to try that word? Uh, I researched it, none of you did, I'm sure, and it's Shigjinath. Anyone want to try that? Yeah, that's, that's a bad word. That's a Hebrew cuss word. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's Shigjinath. And, it, and when I first read it, I was like, well, it's just like he's on a mountain named Shigjinath, or he's, he's somewhere. He's praying, and he's at this place. But it's actually a musical term. It's, a, it's a, a Hebrew musical term. It only shows up two times in the entire Bible. Uh, It's a Hebrew word that's actually a musical term, and it's meant to communicate how this song should be sung. So he says it's a prayer, and it's going to be sung this way. So if you're like, hey, let's do it like a lounge version, or let's do it a blues riff and B, keep the cymbals splashy, like Marty McFly, or or whatever it is. It's this this term that says this is how this song should be sung. It's it's an instruction. Uh, And the way that it's defined is that you should sing it with strong emotion with wild, passionate singing and rapid changes of rhythm, with high-spirited praise or vigorous enthusiasm. When was the last time any of you guys prayed with vigorous enthusiasm? It's interesting because it says it's a prayer, but then there's this term that says it should be sung wildly, emphatically, enthusiastically, passionately. This is how this prayer should be done. One theologian said that, the best definition that he could come up with is that it's praise punctuated with exclamation marks. So it is a passionate, enthusiastic thing. And so I am going to sing the rest. I'm just kidding. Uh, There's this thing. We're going to look at this prayer that Habakkuk prays, but I want us to remember, this isn't like, you know, there's a tear in my beard. This isn't like a sad, like, oh God, where alone. It's a passionate prayer full of enthusiasm. Um, And so it's interesting because what we need to understand is that Habakkuk, he starts this passionate, rowdy worship song to God before God does what Habakkuk was asking him to do. He doesn't start it after he gets everything he wants. He starts worshiping God before he gets anything that he's asked for. And this is a, a key thing that we're going to keep coming back to today. Habakkuk isn't praising God for what he's done, but for who he is. It's not even for what he thinks or hopes that God will do. It's just for what he already knows that God has done. One pastor put it this way. He said, it's praise before the provision. 
It's praising God or worshiping God before he does the things that we hope that he'll do. Because so many of us, it's, it's easy to worship God when things are going well. It's easy to worship God when things are going the way that we want them to do or we're getting the bonuses at work or, or we're, our whole family is sick when everybody else is not sick or whatever the things are. It's easy to worship God when things are going well, but Habakkuk is in the middle of this chaos and confusion and he starts singing this rowdy worship song before God answers, before God responds just because he believes that God is worthy of it. Some people, when they experience a crisis or pain or suffering, they deny that it's even happening. Maybe you guys know somebody that's been like that. You're like, I think that they are in denial. I don't think that they're acknowledging how serious this is. I don't, I don't think that they actually fully are admitting to what's happening. Some people, when they experience pain and suffering, they walk away from God and they blame God and they say, hey, you should have been there, you weren't. You should have shown up, you could have done this, you could have done that, I'm out. And they walk away from God. Habakkuk doesn't do either. He doesn't pretend like things aren't terrible. And he doesn't walk away from God. He articulates what's happening. He, he communicates the frustration and the pain and the suffering. And then he also praises who God is, even in the midst of the unknown. And so it goes on in Habakkuk uh, chapter 3, verse 2. This is the beginning of his rowdy song. I have heard all about you, Lord. I'm filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, remember your mercy. He's essentially saying, I remember what you've done in the past. And he's probably talking about some of the things that he's seen in his own life, but he's also talking about things that he's heard about from other people, from his parents and from his grandparents, from the stories that they've told of the way that God has shown up. He's saying, I've heard all about you. I'm filled with awe by your amazing works. In our time of deep need, would you help us again? Will you do this again? And one of the things I, I know that is important for us and it's difficult for us to do, but when we're in the valleys and we're in the pain and we're in the suffering, we have to remember, when we're experiencing pain in the present, we have to remember God's past goodness. And this is what Habakkuk is doing. He's talking about the, the pain and the suffering and the questions and the injustice and God, it feels like you should be here. And in the midst of all of that pain that he's experiencing in that moment, he is remembering the way that God has been good in the past. He's remembering the way that God has shown up in the past. He's, he's reminding himself of, you know, there was a moment where I thought that I was going to lose it, that we weren't going to be able to make rent, that our marriage wasn't going to be able to last, that the job wasn't going to work out, that I was going to have to declare bankruptcy, that the health wasn't going to hold out. There was a moment where I felt like it was all lost and God was faithful. Today, I feel like it's all lost, and so I'm going to choose to remember back about how God showed up in that moment, and I'm going to choose to believe that in the future, I'll look back at this moment, and I'll do the same thing. I'll look, you know, five years from now, I'll be able to look back at May 19th, is that, is that what we're at? May 19th, 2019, and I felt like it was all, I thought the wagon wheels were coming off, and I thought it was all going to be over but God showed up, and I never believed that he would actually do that. We get to look back and celebrate his goodness in the past when we're experiencing pain in the present. The, the story goes on in verse 3, Habakkuk singing this rowdy song. It says, I see God moving across the deserts from Edom. 
the Holy One coming from Mount Paran. You guys know where those places are. They're beautiful. Uh, his brilliant splendor fills the heavens, and the earth is filled with his praise. His, uh, his coming is as brilliant as the sunrise. Uh, rays of light flash from his hands where his awesome power is hidden. He's t- again, he's talking about God's goodness and what he believes to be true, but it's interesting because these aren't just two random places that he named. When he talks about Edom and Mount Paran, these are actually... Uh, places where when God brought Israel out of slavery from Egypt, these are two places where God protected and provided and showed up in major ways in Israel's story. So again, he's in the middle of this pain and chaos. He feels like there's no answers, there's no reason, there's no way out. And he's not of slavery the last time that his people felt that way. I remember when we were in the wilderness, we had just gotten out of slavery in Egypt we had no food, we had no water, and you guided us to these places, and you provided, you protected, you protected us. He's remembering God's goodness in the past. If you read on in these verses uh, 5 through 15, he continues to sing this prayer about the justice and faithfulness of God, and all of them remembering past experiences. So he's, again, he's in the middle of the chaos, and he's singing this worship song passionately about how good God is in the middle of unknown questions, doubt, terror, suffering, frustration, sadness. He's choosing to hold on to and embrace this reality of who God has been in the past and believe that that can still happen today in this moment. And I think sometimes when we're in the midst of pain or questions or suffering, trials, valleys, whatever you want to call them, the best thing that we can do is remember to God's past goodness and the way that he's shown up. It's not to pretend like things aren't hard, like some people do. They just live in denial. It's not just to walk away and give up on who we thought that God was, but he's failed me in this moment, so I've, I've given him 30 seconds to respond. I've given him a week to solve all of my life's problems. It's not to walk away. It's not to pretend like it's not happening, but it's to lean in and honestly remind ourselves that God is good even when life is not. Because God's goodness is not defined by or tied to our day-to-day experiences. God is good. It is his nature to be good. Like I talked about earlier, the reason we experience pain and brokenness in our lives is because people are allowed to choose pain and brokenness in their lives. Some of us, I hate to break it to you, some of you have chosen pain and brokenness in your lives. We have all made these decisions. And it's not that God has chosen those things for us, it's that this is what people are choosing around us, and it does not change whether or not God is good. God is good even when life is not. Sometimes we have to go back and remember his goodness. A second thing that we have to remember when we're in the valley, when we're in these moments of pain, frustration, suffering, is this. To not just endure the pain, but to embrace God. It's not just to kind of bear down and white knuckle and see like, I'm just going to hope I can make it through this storm. I'm just going to like cover up a little bit and just maybe I'll make it out of this one. It's not to endure the pain, but it's actually to embrace what we believe is true about God, what we've always believed is true about God, and choosing to say, I still believe that this is true about God, even though it doesn't feel like it in my life. Um, I told this to first service, I, there's a, it's a little bit of a confession for me. For like the last nine years or so, um, I have been a huge Beyonce fan. 
Yeah, I know. It comes as a surprise, but I'm not single or a lady, and I just cannot get enough of Beyonce. Uh, I don't know what it is. She, I think she's an incredible performer. I really like the songs, you know, and I'm part of the beehive. That's all you guys need to know. Uh, and so, but uh, it's one of these things that I don't tell everybody, but you guys now know. So, and, well, I'm not, I'll just stop there. Uh, we can talk about it after service if anybody else is a Beyonce fan. And if you're not, don't hate me, okay? Uh, it's a perfect place for imperfect people. So, um, but a few years ago, it was probably three years ago maybe, my wife, for Father's Day, she got me tickets to go see Beyonce, which is still to this day the best Father's Day gift I've ever gotten in my life. And, uh, and so it was me and her and uh, another couple friends of ours, and the tickets were to see her up in uh, San Jose at the new... Um, stadium that they had built up there. And so we were like, oh, we're not going to fly. We don't, you know, it's like we already bought these tickets, which was worth like 14, you know, flights. Uh, and so we're going to drive up there. So we did this road trip. The day before the road trip, I got one of those just deathly man cold situations. Have you guys ever had those? And it's just like everything is leaking from my face and I just feel terrible. And so there was part of me that was like, I got to sit in a car for seven hours tomorrow. And then I'm going to go to this concert in the stadium, and then I'm going to sit in the car for seven hours again after it. Like, this sounds terrible, but I manned up. I got in the back seat with like a half bottle of Dayquil and a couple boxes of tissues. And it was this thing where it was like, in my mind, uh, I knew that what we were going to experience, and just bear with me on my silly illustration here, what I was going to experience in that stadium with the rest of these Beyonce fans, uh, was going to be so good and way more worth it than the misery of sitting in that car for seven hours. It was, it was going to be so good that it was like, I'm choosing to think about how great this is going to be, how fun it's going to be. I'm not choosing just to endure this misery. And there's a different, it's these two different words, and, and some people might use them interchangeably, but there's an important difference because when you endure something, you just, you just let it happen. It's like this passivity that's just something, pain, chaos, suffering is happening to you, and you're just kind of like huddling down and saying, all right, I'm just going to see if I can make it through this. But instead of enduring the chaos and the suffering of life, what would it look like to do what Habakkuk does and say, instead of just pretending and just seeing if I can make it through this, I'm actually going to sing this rowdy song. I'm actually going to embrace who I believe God is in the midst of all of this other stuff. I'm not just going to let life happen to me. I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to sing this song at the same volume as I'm talking about the frustrations and the chaos and the pain. I'm going to sing this song at the same value of the negative voices and the negative thoughts that I have in my life about the chaos and the suffering and the doubts that I'm wrestling with. I'm going to embrace God instead of just enduring pain and suffering in my life. I'm going to make an intentional choice not to be passive, but I'm going to lean into who I believe that God is. And Beyonce did not disappoint. <laughs> and God won't either. <laughs> God is proven over and over and over again in your life and in my life. And if you add up these stories in our life, 
And if you add up the other nine South Hills Church families and all the other churches and all the other people around the world that have seen God show up over and over and over again, and then if you start to add up all the stories that we find in the scriptures and other people's families and grandparents and great-grandparents, God is so faithful and he is so deserving of our trust that we can embrace him even though it feels like in the moment we can't see past any of the chaos that we're surrounded by, any of the questions, the suffering, we can still lean into his goodness because he has an incredible track record of faithfulness and goodness and love and provision, and he has shown up in my life over and over again, and that is the only reason why I'm still here. I believe it's the only reason you're still here. If he hasn't shown up in your life, why would we continue doing this day in and day out? Why would we continue carving our beautiful, sunny Orange County Sunday mornings and saying, I'm going to sit in this cafeteria for an hour because God has not really shown up for me? None of us do that. We all believe that he's been there. And so for us to embrace and not just endure the chaos is an important thing. I still trust him even though all seems lost. I believe he's good even though life is bad. I know that he is with me even though I feel alone. I'll continue to embrace. Habakkuk wasn't in a state of denial. He looked at the reality of what he was experiencing. He communicated it clearly with God. And he still embraces God in the midst of it. Verse 16, we'll pick up again. Habakkuk says, I trembled inside when I heard this. My lips quivered with fear. He's saying this because he's looking at the circumstances that are in his life. He is terrified. He's trembling and quivering with fear. My legs gave way beneath me and I shook in terror. I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invite us. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, even though all of it seems lost and I'm trembling with fear because of what I see and what I've experienced and because of what the doctor said and what's happening in my company and the struggles I'm having in my marriage, even though it's terrifying, yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Even though everything that I see is saying something different, yet I will choose to embrace. Yet I will rejoice. Yet, Shigianoth, yet I will sing this rowdy, enthusiastic worship song because of who I believe God is and I've seen him in the past and I believe that at some point I will see and experience that in this situation also. His heart is pounding. His legs are shaking. Even though people will suffer, even though injustice exists, even though the evil seems to win, even though my friend is still battling cancer, even though their marriage is still in shambles, even though the finances still seem beyond hope, even though natural disasters and violence and hatred and anger continue, even though there's so many reasons why we may not want to embrace God, I choose to embrace and sing this rowdy worship song because of who I've seen him be in the past. And I'm believing that in the middle of this chaos, I believe he will show up this way again. It's not fun. It's not easy. But it is the way that we hold on to hope in the midst of everything feeling like it's crumbling around us. What is he doing? Habakkuk is wrestling and embracing. This is what we talked about in first week. Habakkuk, his name literally means to wrestle and to embrace. 
And this whole entire story, this whole entire example of what he does in the midst of pain and chaos is uh, defined in his name. He wrestles with what he is seeing and experiencing around him and saying, this doesn't feel right. And, and where is God in the midst of pain? And all these things that many of us ask, he's wrestling and he's embracing God and saying, but I believe you're good. I believe you are trustworthy. I know you've shown up in the past, and I believe you'll show up again today. It's praise before the provision. And when we embrace God, when we sing these types of prayers, it's not only a force of strength and power in our own life, but also for the people that watch us. They're looking at us, and they're like, how is that person at peace right now? How is that person confident right now? Everything seems like it's falling apart, and it's this, it's this, chance that we get to tell a different story for who God is, and we get to show up in the day-to-day life and the unknowns and the questions and the good and the bad and the mountaintops and the valleys and everything in between, and we get to show up trusting and believing in God's goodness. You want to hear the craziest part of this story, in my opinion? Habakkuk never gets to hear the answer to his prayers. We don't get to hear the end of the story. God doesn't show up and do all the things that Habakkuk had prayed for it, and they don't give story ends. And most of us, when we go to a movie that they end it and they don't give us that bow on the end of it, we get like a little bit angry, right? Anybody just get furious at those movies? You're like, I paid $39 for this one movie ticket. You better give me a happy ending. We want that because we know that we don't always get that in our life. And what I'm grateful for is that the scriptures are full of stories of other people so I don't have to feel like I'm the only one. And Habakkuk gives this example of, you know what, in your life, every, everything, every situation, every experience, it's not going to have a pretty bow on it before the credits roll. There will be some things that don't make sense in the timing that you want them to make sense in. You, there will be some answers that you don't get. And this is what we get to experience. But up until the very last verse of this book, we can see how he chooses to embrace God before God answers the prayers and gives him what he asks for. It says this in verse 19, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer. God is my strength. He, He makes me able to stand places where I shouldn't be able to stand. Um, we uh, have Netflix. I'm sure nobody else here does. Uh, but it's kind of crazy. You, you scroll through the Netflix options, and it seems like every day there's like 40 new things to watch. And it was a few months ago. I don't, I don't remember how long ago, but I was scrolling through, and there was like another new um, nature kind of uh, documentary that was available to watch. And so I was watching it, and they were talking about different things. And it's one of those things where you just kind of get sucked in. It's like, I never knew I wanted to know this much about this animal. But they were talking about mountain goats. So guess what I'm going to tell you guys about? Mountain goats. Uh, the first important thing to know is that mountain goats uh, aren't actually goats. Confusing, right? Uh, they're actually part of the gazelle family, which is kind of related to the deer family. And so that's why I actually thought of this. And this verse that Habakkuk ends his story with Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. And so I went and I tried to find some pictures to show you guys. And so we've got a couple pictures here. Can you guys see the goats in that picture? Kind of nuts. They didn't fall there. They climbed up to there. I think we got some more pictures. 
Some of you guys are like, yeah, that's my life right now. Like, that is the perfect photo that represents my life, my monthly paycheck and budget. Uh, this, the, literally, the first time I saw this picture, I thought that I needed to rotate it. I was like, oh, somebody rotated that picture. That goat is climbing up a vertical cliff face. And so this is what Habakkuk is talking about. He says, in the midst of all of the pain and the suffering and the injustice that I've seen in my life, I've, I've been honest and I've wrestled with God and I've said, where are you? Why aren't you showing up? And then he did the most courageous thing in chapter two and he waited for God to answer him. And then in chapter three, before he got the answer to his prayer, before he got the, the healing, before he got the job promotion or the marriage was saved or the relationships were fixed or, or whatever it is, the health diagnosis was changed, whatever these things are that we all wrestle with, before he starts singing this passionate, exuberant, enthusiastic praise song because of God's goodness, and he ends it by saying, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He gives me the ability, like a deer, to stand places that nobody else could stand. These things that are in our lives that nobody should be able to make it through, these types of challenges, the, the health diagnosis, the relational trauma and pain that we're experiencing, the financial challenges, whatever it is that we're wrestling with in our life, purpose and fulfillment and growing spiritually and finding a place and, and all of these things, God is our strength in the midst of that. And when you're looking at the face of a cliff, like one of these mountain goats might be looking at, be like, there is no way out of this. There's no way I'm climbing up that. There's no way I'm climbing down that. There's no way I can hold on to that. What Habakkuk is saying is true for us too, that God gives us the ability to do things that none of us should be able to do. He gives us the strength to make it through things that none of us can make it through on our own. This is why we lean in and we embrace who God is because without him, we cannot stand on the face of these cliffs like the deer and the mountain goats can. This is the invitation to hope, is to hold on to this reality that in the midst of all that's going on, we can embrace God's goodness and believe that he can give us the strength to stand in a place that no person could stand on their own. In chapter one of Habakkuk, we wrestled with this idea that you cannot have intimacy with God, you can't have a close relationship with God without being honest about all things, the pain and the joy. Chapter two, we talked about how being uh, waiting on God is the most courageous thing that we can do. It's not laziness, it's not apathy, but it's waiting for him to speak to us before we just try and wrestle something and handle it in our own strength. It's trusting that he has a plan. And in chapter three, is talking about embracing God's goodness even when life is not good around us. Even when the journey that we have to walk in front of a step-by-step, -step, what's coming up tomorrow or this week or this month for you is not easy. It's, it's not enduring the chaos, but it's actually embracing who you believe God is in the midst of it because sovereign God is able to give us the strength to stand on the heights, the cliff face, the chaos, the suffering, the questions, the pain. He's able to give us the strength to, to go where no other human could possibly be able to stand on their own. And so the questions that I have for us is what if you chose to embrace God in the midst of the unknown? What if you chose to embrace God in the midst of the pain and the suffering and the chaos instead of just enduring it? What if you chose to worship God for who he is 
before we get the answer to our prayer? What if we chose to worship God passionately like Habakkuk does, to have this prayer that we're going to sing out, this rowdy song of, of worship for who we believe God is, even though in the moment things feel a little bit chaotic? What if our love for God wasn't conditional on how much he did for us, but it was just based on the fact that he is good and he deserves our worship and, and he is loving towards us, even though we feel other things around us, it doesn't change his love towards us. What if we chose to believe that God's goodness is not defined by how good our lives are, but that he's good even when life isn't? 